Hello, Grace City, uh, Ottawa. We're almost, Christmas is almost upon us today and we're coming uh, to the end of this Advent series, uh, A Light in the Dark. And today I want to look at probably, I guess, one of the best known stories uh, of, of this season of Advent, which will be the three major or the three wise men coming and bowing down and giving gifts to the baby Jesus. And uh, this uh, has, has many uh, interpretations put on it. It's kind of seen as a nice story. But what is the real meaning, the biblical meaning behind uh, this story? And uh, I think it looks at uh, really how Jesus, it's another example of how this Christmas story is unpredictable. Uh, the vulnerability of God coming as a baby in a very humble way. And I think it brings out all of these things. And it's, you've just heard the passage read to you in Matthew 2, the first 12 verses. And there's three uh, things briefly today I want to draw out of this passage. Uh, uh, power, prophecy and provision is where we're going with this. Uh, three simple points out of this. The first one then is power. And you see in the first three verses of Matthew chapter 1 that there are really three, uh, I guess, main characters in this story. Uh, obviously, apart from Jesus, who is the baby in, in the manger, in the stable, there's also King Herod, who is the local ruler, and obviously the three magi who were Persian astrologers. And both King Herod and these three wise men or, or magi are uh, people of influence, of power and of wealth. Uh, but they come with radically different responses to this baby that's in uh, the stable. Uh, extreme differences. So on the one hand, you get fear leading to the killing of babies and on the other, you get worship. And how can, how can two responses be so different? Uh, and we, we just want to look at that. So King Herod, uh, who you could say was like the, the, he was the power, the face of power in the region which Jesus was born into. He was like a puppet king for Rome, uh, hated by much of the local population, but he ruled on behalf of Rome and he'd expanded the temple in those days by high taxes on his own people which made him extremely unpopular and uh, his reaction to this Jesus which we go on to read uh, you can read it just after the passage that we've read today is that his responses out of fear and really terror is that he tries to kill uh, all the boys under the age of two in order to destroy Jesus. Extreme, extreme reaction. But this man, King Herod, had, had almost total power over his subjects uh, in this area of the world in which we're looking at, into which Jesus is born. The three magi, or the three wise men of Persian descent, um, the same Persians who had scattered the Jews into exile. Uh, but they'd now lost their grip on power. Uh, the Persian Empire was in decline by this time. Uh, and these Magi would have been what we would probably call today astrologers. Uh, 
and, and by many, they were considered to be the real power behind the throne. So they would be asked for their opinions and their opinions would often form uh, decisions of national importance. So they were powerful people in the Persian Empire. And Jesus was, as a baby, was born into the world, in effect, of the Romans and the Persians. And uh, the real king has to be placed in a, in a stable on the edge of town. This is what happens here. So you, you, you have King Herod with the earthly power, these three wise men who would have been very influential in an empire that was in decline but still had much power, and you get the baby Jesus in a stable. We see power on display here. And what about, and, and they respond in different ways. And then I guess the other character you could say are in this story is the population of Jerusalem itself. What, what about them? What is, and, and, and even the religious leaders, what, what about them? Well, we read in verse 3, it says that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And I think so often that we, we, can, we can miss the significance of this. Uh, we can be troubled. We can meet people who are kind of troubled in their heart, but they don't really respond. So Herod responds in an extreme way to the birth of Jesus. The three magi, which we'll see in the end, they bow down and worship him. But much of Jerusalem, the population, is kind of indifferent, not really that bothered. They're probably a bit afraid what's going on here. Uh, the religious leaders, indifferent. That can be like so many of us and so many of the people we know. You see, Bethlehem is uh, really, it's, it's only a few miles away from Jerusalem. It's kind of this town that's on the outer edges of Jerusalem. It, 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 you, there is a gap, but it's not that far, really. You can walk there in a day. You can walk there probably in half a day. And, and it's kind of this outlying place. Uh, and I think that can, that can look like our lives sometimes. It's like, oh, this, this, we're hearing things about this child that's been born in this, in this place called Bethlehem that's kind of a bit over there. <laughs> we're in Jerusalem and there's some strange news coming out from this, this little town, this little village called Bethlehem that's kind of part of us, but it kind of isn't. It's just over there somewhere. It's just far enough away, really, to be part of us, but not really part of us. It's kind of a separate little place. And that can be how we, we receive Jesus in our lives. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 I kind of get it, but actually, no, Jesus, you, you're kind of helpful, but I'm going to keep you in this place over here somewhere. And I get a little bit troubled sometimes. I'm not really sure what to think of you. I kind of know you're there somewhere. But I think I'll keep you on the outermost limits of my life. I certainly don't want to surrender to you. Uh, I, I, I want to keep control of my own life. I want power over my own life, thank you very much. I'm not giving up any power over my life. We're not going to go, obviously, to the extreme levels that Herod went to. But we're, we're somewhere in the middle. We're not really going to give up control over our lives. We're going to kind of keep you at a distance. And I find even some of us as Christians can do that. We let Jesus into our lives, but kind of at limit. 
And, and Jesus, you can, you can speak into some things, but you can't speak into everything. There are some things I'm going to keep control of. I'm not surrendering everything to you. I'm not really going to bow down and worship. And I want to say to you, God is not a robber of your security, but he's the safest place to be. He's a giver of dreams and of hope and of freedom. He won't, he, you don't have to be scared of him, okay? He will give you life and life eternal. He'll give you abundant life. Are there any parts of your life that you're afraid to welcome God into? Let me just summarize this. You see, the, the, the wise men worshipped Jesus and left with joy. Herod hated, was utterly fearful and lived his life in fear. The priests and the religious leaders just not really interested. Jerusalem and Bethlehem maybe only two hours apart, not really interested. Why? Well, maybe they're just over-sophisticated. Maybe they're too familiar. Maybe they just, they just don't realise what's happening. They just look over the top of it. They don't realise that this is the Messiah, that God would come as a baby in a stable. They're too clever for this. The population troubled, but didn't really investigate. Will we be like the wise men who worship? Will we be like Herod who lived his life in fear from this point onwards? Or will we be like much of the population of Jerusalem who's not really that interested, didn't bother to investigate? I just want to say, let's be careful. The Magi realised something special was happening, but others wouldn't even cross the road to investigate. This is kind of, this is kind of a picture of what's played out over 2,000 years. Dramatically different responses to Jesus Christ, because that's what he does in us. He reveals things in our hearts that cause us to respond in very different ways. The real power here, the real power was in the stable in the form of a vulnerable baby. Power. Second thing is prophecy. See, God is, if I can describe it like this, it's like God has been shouting his plan through uh, Jewish prophecy, through the Old Testament. Hundreds, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. And maybe whispering his plan through Gentile prophecies. And let me explain what I mean. So in the Old Testament, there was a longing that someone was on the way who would make everything right. That a Messiah, a rescuer was coming. And we see it shouted out. Uh, we, we, we see it like proclaimed uh, through the Old Testament. And 300 times as a reference to Jesus and the one that's coming who will rescue. It's being shouted, if you like. We see it in Numbers 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 17 says, A star shall come out of Jacob. It's generally accepted that in 7 BC, around 7 BC, uh, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars were in a very unusual triangular pattern. 
And chapter two here, it kind of gives a Persian interpretation on these things. In verse two, uh, the, 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 the Magi are saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We saw his star. There's evidence that actually these things are prophesied even in Persian Gentile prophecy. See, God is whispering these things. He's whispering these things even into Gentile nations. We saw his star. They knew that they knew something, they knew someone was coming. And it was aligned up with these stars in the sky. It's like we've come to find him. We've seen the star. We've come a long way to check out what's happening. This is weird. See, these are Persian astrologers, magicians. Persian. We've come to find out. We've read something. Something's been revealed to us. See, maybe there's one who will bring joy to the whole world. See, this looks to me, this is prophesied over Jesus, that he would be the desire of nations. This looks like even as the baby in the stable, there's nations gathering to Jesus. Persian astrologers have come looking for him. The desire of nations already starting to come together. The one who's born in the stable, which whose life we look forward to and celebrate in this season is the hope of nations. He's the hope of the whole earth. He's the one ultimately that will bring all nations together. This is Jesus. We see it being worked out prophetically even here, even in the moments, in the days, in the weeks, the months after his birth, while he's still a baby, We see this starting to work out, the hope of nations, the rightful king. It's extraordinary. See, verse 11 says, They saw the child uh, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasure, they offered gifts. It's important, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold was a symbol of a gift for a king. Frankincense was normally offered in the temple, in a temple for the gods. Myrrh was at a funeral or a burial. So you tie these things together, gold the king, frankincense for the gods, myrrh for a burial, this king of divine origin who's sent to die. You see it coming together in prophecy in gold, frankincense and myrrh. A king who's divine, who's come to die. You see it in the gifts prophetically that are offered to this baby. See, I want to say to you today, you may think, you may be watching this, you may think you're the furthest possible person away from becoming a Christian. But I want to say, you aren't really further than these three wise men, these astrologers, these Persian Persian astrologers were, who discover something and they fall down and worship. Maybe today you're, you're, you're following Jesus, but this season has drained you. You're tired. You're weary. 
God wants to reveal himself again and say, I've broken into the world. Will you fall down and worship me? Will you bring the gifts that I've put in your life? Will you recommission them to me? This is prophecy being outworked here. It's quite remarkable. We see it even at the very birth of this baby. So we've looked at power. What is our response to the real power that's in the stable here? How will we react? Will we understand prophecy, that it's all being worked out through this child? And the third thing I want to say is provision. If we look at verse 4 to 5, it says, uh, actually we go back to 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And verse 6, this is now being um, read out to them, this prophetic word from, from the Old Testament. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, they told him in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, one will come forth who will shepherd my people Israel. And the meaning of the word Bethlehem is is house of bread. And in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You put these two things together and we talk about provision. What we're really saying is, and what the Bible is saying to us, is that the bread of life, Jesus is one of his names. I am the bread of life. The bread of life is born in the house of bread, Bethlehem. That's what the Bible is shouting to us, shouting about provision. The bread of life is born in the house of bread. And churches and Christians all over the world in this season can feed on the bread of life. The one who will never run out. His provision never runs out. He's calling the nations together as one to worship him. And you don't need to bring anything to Jesus but yourself. See, Jesus will provide. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not want for anything. Jesus will spiritually provide for you everything you need. Everything you need is provided through the bread of life. You won't ever go spiritually hungry Because Jesus is the bread of life who's born in the house of bread. (laughs) And it shouts out of the provision of God. Come at the end of this year, you think, I'm I'm weary, I'm tired. I want to say God is faithful. Jesus is enough for you. Jesus is spiritually enough. He will provide. My grace is sufficient for you. He will provide for you. You can rely on him. You can trust him. 
And he says, don't, you don't need to bring anything to me. You don't have to bring your performance. You don't have to bring your money to me. You don't have to bring your family tree to me. You don't have to bring your, your, your history to me. You don't have to bring your social status to me. You don't have to bring any special intellect to me. Bring yourself, come to me and feed on me because in the stable here in this story is the bread of life. It's provision for us. God has provided a way for us back to him. He provides a way through the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can find your way back to God. You never need to be spiritually hungry again when you accept Jesus into your life. I want to say to you as I close, will you fall down and worship the real king, the wonderful king, the king full of mercy and grace and love and power? Will that be your response at the end of this year? Do you understand that this king is the one gathering in all the nations, breaks down every dividing wall, and this is the king who provides for you. This baby in a stable, he's the bread of life. He will provide. Let's continue to worship together.